right now is Nick Ribkin. He's been travelling throughout Australia with Open Doors Australia and he's got an incredible story to share with us. Welcome to the program. How are you, mate? Thank you, Matt. I'm doing fantastic. We always love Australia and and my wife and I are here for, can you believe it, five weeks here in New Zealand. (laughs) Wonderful. Good to hear you've been travelling around uh, Australia and around the world. And uh, just curious to know a bit of your story. Whereabouts were you born and raised? I was born in very rural Kentucky, north central Kentucky, to a family of six boys and one girl, uh, raised on a farm. And my dad did construction during the week. And uh, my wife and I are both PKs. Uh, Matt, she's a pastor's kid, and I'm a pagan's kid. <laughs> okay, so tell us a bit about your, your faith journey. How did you come to know the Lord? Well, my my family were like uh, Christmas and Easter church people, and and uh, not really believers. And and so when I uh, had to start working nights during high school, the last fourteen weeks of my high school career, my senior year, I went to work for a, a Kraft Foods cheese factory, and I worked uh, from seven p.m. to three thirty in the morning. Uh, so I could save money to go to college. My brother was the first one ever go to university, and so I wanted to be the second one. And in that cheese factory, working in a big old dark corner by myself, no one near me, maybe by 100 meters, a voice said to me, Nick, are you tired of running? Are you ready to serve me? And I turned around. No one's there. Happened a second time, 15 minutes later, a third time. All I can tell you is I knew in the depths of my soul that was the voice of God. And I said to Jesus, uh, I, I belong to you. I give my heart to you. Wow, what a, what a powerful testimony. Did everyone notice the change in your life after that? Oh, I, uh, they sure did. I'm not sure it was all positive because in the sense that I was in such a small rural place, I, I couldn't find anybody to help me, to mentor me. And my family was upset, my my. The pastor of the big church that was next to the factory was having a hard time and, and saying, Nick, you don't want to do this, because I didn't understand church terminology. They were asking me, so so you were saved in that factory, and now you're going to be full-time in the ministry? I, Matt, didn't know you could be part-time in the ministry. <laughs> and, so, and so I had such a hard time to find anybody to help me, and then they told me I had to cancel my scholarship to University of Kentucky to be a veterinarian and had to go become a Baptist minister. I was so young, so green, I was just going to do what they told me. And so two weeks later, I'm at a Baptist college studying to be in the ministry, and I had never read the Bible. And and so um, I, I can tell you that very quickly people saw a lot of change in me, but I was so green in the faith. Uh, and it was at college where I found some true brothers that took a great interest in me 
And then a year later, Ruth came to that college. And, uh, you know, it may not sound good to all of your listeners, but Ruth, in, in a quiet way that she has, a loving way that she has, uh, has always wanted to be on the mission field. Her father would lay out a map uh, on the breakfast table and, and tell her, uh, her and her brother, the names of the workers that were having birthdays uh, on that day and then uh, telling her something about their lives and their ministry. And then they had to try to guess which country those missionaries were in. That That is a foreign country to me. I had nothing like that. And so I'm trying to learn the Bible, and at the same time, I'm taking classes on, uh, you know, New Testament, Old Testament, and theology that I had no grounding in whatsoever. And Ruth just mentored me, and I'm half-joking when I say I am now the spiritual leader of my family. I find out where Ruth wants to go, and I lead her there. Well, I've been so inspired to read your biography and and hear a bit of your story. For those who haven't heard of this film, The Insanity of God, tell us what it's all about. Well, we have um, we went to traditional mission field, brother, for the first ten years, Malawi, South Africa, and then Ruth and I did a foolish thing. We started reading the Book of Acts together on the mission field, <laughs> and I wrote the word missionary on a piece of paper, and Ruth and I, I said to her, I said, Ruth, when we finish reading this book together, we're going to write our own definition of what a missionary is, what they do, and uh, for us. And when we finished, I wrote on that piece of paper that for us, we were to go uh, to where people have little or no chance of hearing the gospel. A lot of lost people in South Africa, but they've had missionaries for 300 years. So we called leadership. And so we've got to move. We've got to get to where people have little or no access to Jesus. And uh, two months later, we have moved to Nairobi, Kenya, learning a third language, getting ready to study a fourth language. We did Swahili, then Somali. And and our kids now are are moving for their about sixth time already in their short lives. Uh, We we went to Africa with a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And then we had uh, another son born in South Africa after doctors told Ruth we would have no more babies because we had uh, malaria so bad for so long in Malawi. That's why we had to leave there that uh, they just told us we wouldn't conceive again. And so uh, here we are being told three to five years to get in Somalia. Uh, four months later, I'm in Somalia for the first time. Six months later, we're bearing 20 babies a day. We're feeding 50,000 people a day. We're doing mobile mobile medical clinics. We're resettling refugees. Uh, we're working in a war zone and a famine. It, I, I was there, Matt, for uh, six months before I met a woman that had not been raped repeatedly. It was Satan unmasked. It wasn't Islam anymore. It was just pure evil. And uh, at the same time, we found out there was about 150 believers in Jesus in Somalia. At that time, out of 10 million people, can you imagine, 2,000 years after the coming of Jesus, and very few people had ever even attempted to take Christ uh, to Somalia. And Somalia was a result of the disobedience of the church when we failed to go, give people 
a choice between good and evil, uh, evil triumphs. And so uh, we're watching these believers being hunted down. They killed four of my best friends on one day, Muslim extremists extremists did. Matt, we went 25 years among Somali people that for 25 years when a Somali believer was killed, uh, they would take their body, his body, and, and hide it, put it in a garbage place, put it in a toilet chute. And for 25 years, we never had a believer's body at their own funeral. That's how horrible that place was. And I got so, uh, my faith got so dented and beaten up and, and uh, coming in and out of that place. And sometimes Ruth would go in, but uh, not, she and I wouldn't go in at the same time because it was just too dangerous. And we didn't want to leave our boys without both parents. And, and finally, we're down to four believers in Somalia. And I'm just arguing with God one day. When, when those four believers, friends of mine, were killed, I'm walking in the rubble of Somalia. I asked my guards to give me some space. And I said to God, I said, do you have any clue what you're doing? Are you asleep? Don't you know that everything that loves you, everybody that loves you, if you don't intervene, a whole generation of Somali believers are going to be wiped out. And then I, I really pushed God too far. And when I said, wrongly said, in sin said, God, you need just to wipe these Somalis out. They're killing everybody that loves you. It's just time, Lord, uh, to take them off the face of the planet. And the biggest mistake I could have made, I said to God, God, these Somalis are not worthy of the blood of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit said to me immediately, neither are you. Wow. And I, and I argued more. I said, God, don't you put me in the same boat with these Somali killers. And God said, no, you're worse. You had complete access to the gospel all your life, and you, you cursed me, turned your back on me, lived a pagan life, and, and these Somalis for 2,000 years have no access uh, to the good news that I sent through Jesus Christ. So tell me, Nick, who should I wipe out first? Wow, that was a wake-up call. You've really got an incredible story, and uh, I understand you've interviewed approximately 600 believers who live in environments of persecution, totaling 72 countries to date. And these believers have courageously shared with you how they've thrived in the midst of persecution, not just surviving, but they've thrived. So what's your message to the church in the West? Uh, You know, we don't receive near as much persecution as as what the church in the Middle East does. What's your message to us? Is it a wake-up call for us? Oh, absolutely. When I left Somalia... Uh, believers were dead. Our 16-year-old son, uh, eight days after his birthday, died on Easter Sunday morning. My wife's mother died two months to the day our son died. We were just pretty beat up. And they wanted, wanted us, Matt, to go to Believers in Persecution to develop discipleship materials for people working in hard places like Somalia. By the time I went to Believers in Persecution, I wanted to know, is Jesus trustworthy? Can Jesus do what he did among the Roman empires today, or can he only work in the dressed-up Western church? And so I'm looking, am I ever going to be able to pray again? Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And so we sat with 600 believers in 72 countries. Now listen, 
some of these believers, when they uh, are, you know, when they are tempted and tried by Satan, they, they get knocked down, Matt, and they don't get up. And so we talked to a lot of people that failed Jesus in persecution. But we also talked to hundreds and hundreds of those that when they got, every time they were knocked down by evil, they got back up and they just served God with faithfulness, uh, uh, just like Daniel in the lion den, just like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, and just like Paul and Silas. And so we learned from them how much they love Jesus, how much of the Bible. Many of them, Matt, can reproduce 70% of the Bible stories uh, from Genesis uh, through the book of Acts. And, and, and Matt, I saw them in China that uh, uh, before they were allowed to lead, a, a, a say, a Bible study, a Sunday school class, they would have led you know, 10 to 12 people to Jesus in the marketplace. And before they would pastor or be an evangelist or be accredited, not accredited, that's the right word, but recognized as a church planner, they would have led 25 to 30 people to Christ in the marketplace. The, the quickest way to leadership in persecution is through evangelism and through exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. And that was so different from everything that I, I, I ever learned, they, 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 they become leaders not through studying systematic theology. They become leaders through exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit and leading people to Jesus. Well, Nick, it's an absolutely inspirational story, and I can even just hear through the, the radio here, through the phone line here, I can hear the passion in your voice, and it really is a wake-up call for us in the West. We need to live like the Book of Acts, and you and your wife have certainly been an example of that. Now, if people want to find out more about this incredible movie and the books you've released, they can go to insanityofgodmovie.com. And there you can see all the different resources and uh, links uh, to information about this incredible min- ministry about uh, Nick and Ruth Ripkin uh, doing an incredible ministry work all over the, the nations. Uh, Nick, I reckon you're a history maker. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Matt, and God bless your ministry. Thanks for joining us on History Makers. If you'd like to listen to this interview again, just go to historymakers.tv. There you'll find links to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can subscribe to our iTunes podcast or check out our YouTube clips. And you can find out about History Makers TV. We are a faith-based ministry and we appreciate every donation. You know, the vision of History Makers is to share the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations of the world. If you'd like to partner with us, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless you. Have an awesome day. I'm Matt Prater. And why don't you go and make history? History Makers. History Makers is proudly sponsored by Bible League, who serve the local church and other partners around the world by providing Bibles, scripture materials and training to help people meet Jesus. They provide God's Word to a lost and needy world. Bible League plants Bibles in prisons, among persecuted Christians and in poor nations, bringing the love and light of Christ into many people's lives around the world. Make history today by joining our friends at Bible League and planting a Bible that will help someone meet Jesus. Go to bl.org.au. Station sponsor.